Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manesh. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people, and today is no exception. We have an amazing guest all the way from Scottsdale, Arizona. Welcome to the show, Chris Widener. Hey, thanks for having me, Victor. It's uh, awesome. The Real Estate Espresso. I need some espresso this morning. Right on. (laughs) Well, great to have you here. Chris, there's so many things we can talk about. You've got a massive body of work storied author with 22 books under your belt so far, well-recognized, internationally recognized keynote speaker. You and I have a dear friend in common. I don't know if you knew this, and that's in the form of Kyle Wilson. Oh, I didn't know. I knew we had another friend in common. I didn't know that Kyle was a friend of ours in common. Yeah. He used to run my business for about seven years. He uh, he founded Chris Widener International and a uh, fantastic guy. Absolutely fantastic guy. He was also the the founder and president of Jim Rohn International. And I know you've got a couple of books you've written about Jim Rohn as well. So we'll talk about that. What got you into this particular line of work? Uh, my horrific upbringing. <laughs> My dad died when I was four. He was severely underinsured. His last year live was 1969, and he made $90,000. Most people in America today would say, sign me up for the $90,000 a year plan. But in 1969, it's what a friend of mine called gangster money. But he only had $30,000 worth of life insurance. So my mom had to sell a house that we were living in that uh, recently sold for $3.2 million. She had to sell it because she couldn't afford the outrageous $400 a month mortgage payment. So that began a, a downward spiral. She hadn't worked outside the home for quite some time. And so she went into real estate, left me home alone a lot. She was out selling houses and doing the best that she could. And, and I got into a lot of trouble and ended up living in 28 homes, went to 11 different schools. My mom flipped houses. I don't know why she couldn't flip them all in the same school district. We moved from school to school and, and I got into drugs at an early age, started, you know, drugs by the time I was in the sixth grade, alcohol, by the time I was in the eighth grade, I was smoking opium, just really a bad, bad upbringing, got shipped off to live with relatives twice, once to my aunt Rochelle, my uncle Paul, and once to my sister who had just married a Seattle cop. So uh, nothing seemed to work, but I finally got my act turned around and finally figured out I wanted to do something with my life the summer before my senior year and eked my way out of of uh, high school, got into college, got a degree in youth and family work. And I was going to go and, and work with at-risk kids, which is what I did for the first part of my career. And, but then I, with that story, I ended up being asked to speak a lot, started out as a youth speaker, and then slowly navigated more towards the adult style speaking, leadership seminars, things like that. And then was asked to work with Jim Rohn, amazing guy, uh, ended up with a television show with Zig Ziglar. And so it's been, been a great career. It's been an interesting life. Amazing. Tell me a little bit about Jim. What was that like? How did he impact your life? Well, Jim gave me a great break. And and I always, I always, I know you asked about Jim, but I always like to lump Jim and Zig together because I worked with them both and they were both at the pinnacle of, of that industry. Yes. And yet they were both so very different. Like a lot of times people say, what did you learn most from working with Jim Rohn and Zig Ziglar? And I always tell people the thing I learned most about working with, you know, when working with Jim and Zig is to be yourself. People will sometimes say, well, what does that mean? How did you learn that? Well, Jim was very much a quiet, introverted guy. He would come down shortly before his speech. And then when he was done, he made his way quickly back to the hotel room. And, you know, he wasn't out grinning and gripping and shaking hands and 
kissing babies like a politician. But Zig was much more of a not an introvert, but an extrovert. He was much more gregarious. He he was shaking hands and kissing babies. And yet it taught me as a young man when I was working with both of them that I could be myself. I didn't need to be Jim. I didn't need to be Zig. I needed to be me. And it doesn't matter what your personality is, is if you're good at it and you do well and you help people, you can rise to the highest levels of of the industry. But both of them gave me just, I mean, I don't even know how you quantify or qualify the breaks that they gave me to be able as a mid thirties young man, to be able to be, you know, working closely with folks like that. It's, uh, you know, it was, it was great for me personally. It was great for me professionally and just a real blessing. Amazing. Amazing. I wish they were both still with us today, obviously. Yeah. I've got to know Tom Ziegler and obviously Tom's a very different individual from his dad, but he's taken the legacy and kind of put his stamp on it and propagated it. And I think actually done an amazing job with it. Well, and I think one of the things that credits Zig and the redhead, his wife, for being such fantastic people is their children. You know, not just Tom, but his sisters and their whole family have really carried that legacy on. And they're using that Ziegler name to, to make a difference, but they've really also put their own spin on it. It's not just Zig continued. Right. It's the Ziegler legacy. And that's continued through his children and grandchildren. And they're doing a fantastic job. Love Tom to death. Well, that maybe is a good segue into one of your most recent books called Lasting Impact. What's that book about? It's about how to create a life and business that live beyond you. So, you know, it's exactly what we're talking about. Zig created a business that lives beyond him. You know, he's been passed away now for probably 10 or 10 or 11 years, something like that. And yet it continues. And there's a lot of people that as soon as they die, all you have to do is unplug the phone and sell the house and and you're done. And there's not that ripple effect through eternity. And so I think that that's my primary goal. I wrote it. It was released when I turned 55. So I'm kind of in that stage. You know, I read a book a long time ago by Bob Buford called Halftime, Moving from Success to Significance. Mm. And that's really kind of what's going on. You know, when you get to that 55-year-old age, you know, you can say, oh, I'm, I've been successful. I've got the house. I've got the car. I've got the money. But what happens when I die? Is it just somebody gets a six-year-old Ferrari? Or what, 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 what is the extent of your lasting impact? And so it's really to challenge people to live their life now so that when they pass away, and we never know when we're going to pass away. You know, Jim and I wrote in the book, 12 Pillars, can't determine how long you live, but you can determine how well you live. So it's really a book about how to live well, regardless of how long you live. I love that. I love that. You wrote another book called Leadership Rules back in 2010. I actually read that book. I have it here on my bookcase. Oh, Oh, really? Cool. It's a little fictional book. I write fiction. Most of my books are fiction, although Lasting Impact is the first nonfiction book I wrote in 17 years. But it's a story about a a guy who uh, he kind of gets downgraded in his multinational corporation from his office in Chicago. He gets sent to a little town called East Creek, Texas. It's about 15,000 people there, and about 10% of them work for this little textile company owned by the multinational. So they send him there to sort of relearn how to be a leader and have a smaller little deal. So he walks in thinking, well, you know, 10% of the town works for me. I'm the big shot. And he realizes that the real big shot 
is the high school football coach who's won like 22 state championships or something like that. So this guy's son was going to play on the football team. So he volunteered as a dad to help watch film and, you know, those kinds of things that, you know, dads do for high school football teams. And he ends up getting to know this coach and the coach teaches him those four leadership rules. And I always say rules because I, I worked for John Maxwell for a while and love John. Fantastic guy. Ghost wrote for him in the early 2000s. He loves the laws, right? There's leadership laws, the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. And at the very beginning of the book, I kind of say, with all due respect, because I love John, there are no laws when it comes to human nature. And so there are no laws of leadership. There are rules that work most of the time. But when you're dealing with people, there are no laws because people can go sideways, crazy, into rebellion. They can do whatever they want. So these are rules that generally work for the most part. And I know that that doesn't sound like super sexy for people, but it's also extremely honest. Absolutely. Now, lately, you've also started to become more politically involved as well. We're at an interesting point in our, in our nation's history and in world history where things have perhaps become more polarized than at any time that I can certainly remember. I know that if you want to identify as being part of one particular group, call it Republican or Democrat, you've got to line up perfectly on these 20 issues here on the right or these 20 issues here on the left. And it's become this giant echo chamber. And yet, for the vast majority of people, there's almost a silent majority that actually fit somewhere in the middle. They might be fiscally conservative. They might be socially liberal. They might, you know, whatever, mix and match. Right. They don't line up perfectly on any single one of those issues. What what's your perspective? How's how do we get here and how do we fix it? I don't know that we ever fix it, to be honest with you. And I, I agree with you. We are po- more polarized than ever before. Uh, except perhaps maybe the first civil war. Right. Yeah, true. The problem we have today is is back in the you know 60s, 70s, 50s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, Democrats and Republicans agreed for the most part on the destination they wanted to get to. They just disagreed on how to get there, right? So it's like, we want to help the poor. How do you get there? Well, you, you, you know, get them jobs. No, you give them handouts, okay? They both wanted to help the poor, right? I think what's happened now is, is neither side wants to go to the same direction. To me now, it's not a clash of strategy or process. It's a clash of worldviews. Those worldviews, you're, you're never going to take somebody who's rabidly pro-choice and she's she or she's never going to become pro-life. And you're never going to get a rabidly pro-life person because of their worldview to agree that it's okay to kill a baby, right? That's their worldview. And so there is no in-between. There's no place to meet. You're never going to get a, a socialist who believes that people ought to be taxed super high and the money redistributed to the poor to agree with somebody who says, no, it's a one, you know, it's it's all for one, you know, do it yourself, self-made man. It's all about capitalism. So to me, I, I don't know that we're ever going to fix it because it's a clash of worldviews and not a clash of strategy or process or or trajectory in order to get to the same destination. So it's it's very concerning and it's really almost like which worldview is going to win. And to me, that ends up being more of an education issue than anything else on people's part who want to influence culture and politics. So it sounds almost like it requires a deal breaker issue to get someone to come to the other side, as opposed to those other items that are negotiable. 
which is why politicians are, are smart and they target little issues that divide people and then put them into accountable camps, right? If I can divide six people up into uh, two groups, I can immediately count them. There's either three and three, four and two, or five and one, right? And, and that, that's how we get to count. We get to decide whether we win or not. So that's why the term wedge issues is so important to politicians and political people. They, they try to find those issues so they can put people firmly into camps and, and count them as a likely voter. I want to read you a letter that was sent by a community bank to all of its customers on the 31st of August to get your reaction. And it's, uh, it's from FNB Community Bank, and it says, As your community bank, we want our customers to know the facts, especially as it relates to concerning developments around public policy that exposes your financial privacy. The Biden administration has proposed requiring all community banks and other financial institutions to report to the IRS on all deposits and withdrawals through business and personal accounts worth more than $600, regardless of tax liability. What do you think? I think it's par for the course. People are going to try to grab power. It's sort of, you know, Lord of the Flies is a famous historical book because it's Lord of the Flies, right? It goes straight to human nature. And, and this is part of, probably part of the big problem is we don't understand human nature. Historically, from a Judeo-Christian worldview, we believed in sin. We believed, as G.K. Chesterton, the great Catholic theologian, used to say, that the only philosophy empirically validated by 3,500 years of history is original sin. That's the one thing we know, is that people do evil things, people are selfish, people will try to gain power over other people, and yet we tend to think, oh no, people are basically good, they're a politician, I voted for him, look at him, he's got a nice looking wife and three great kids and they live in the suburbs. Well, he also wants to dominate you and exert his power over you, and and that's something that is hard for good-natured people to believe, but the reality is, and both sides do it, by the way. I'm not just picking on the Democrats. Democrats just have to, in my opinion, Democrats just have to be the latest one and truly the worst one ever. I mean, the the scope in which they're trying to take power is outrageous, but it happened after 9-11. They went into the Patriot Act and, and that's why everybody's getting their phone calls listened to. And so it's crazy. I actually have a friend who's a very well-known person. And every now and then I, when I'm texting with him, uh, I know for a fact he's being watched and listened to by the NSA. And every now and then I'm tempted to type in and go, hey, and welcome to all the NSA people listening in, because that's what they do now, right? It really is not surprising, but it is tyrannical overreach. We need to take our money out of those banks that comply. We need to revote different people in. Luckily, we get to elect all of our congressmen every two years. We get to elect a third of our senators every two years. And we need to make sure that they understand that they will not have any sort of power if they try to exert this kind of tyranny over us. It's it's a travesty. And frankly, I don't know why the banks would want to comply anyway, given the fact that, uh, I mean, can you imagine the reporting, the money that's going to be stripped out of the banks just to pay people to do all of that reporting? It's 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 insane, but it's it's not surprising. I don't know what would surprise me at this point, Victor. When I think back to my elementary school political science classes, I was taught back then that the purpose of government was to protect the life, liberty, and property of its citizens. And then they do that through the Constitution, and then the Constitution is supposed to do that through the legal system. It seems like we've deviated from that. So many of these acts that are in place, you, when you put them up against that test, are they protecting life, liberty, and property of its citizens? You say, how does it possibly, possibly do that? Like, where's the connection? Help me connect the dots. 
Well, here's the problem. The people in power, for the most part, they believe they're smarter than us. There's a great book by Mark Leibovich, the New York Times writer called Our Town or This Town. I I think it's This Town. And it's about this running joke amongst all the people there, you know, the politicians, the the lobbyists, the reporters. They're all in bed together. Some of them literally, you know, who's married to who and this power couple and that power couple. And it's totally incestuous. And it almost all comes out of the Ivy Leagues. What has happened is, is over the last hundred years, the Ivy Leagues have completely taken over politics. They run the media. They run the the Senate. They run the House. It, most of them are, are elected to president, come from Yale or Harvard or one of those you know, kinds of schools. And so they really think they're smarter than us. And I think that their idea is, is, you know what, we could make a utopian society if people would just do what we tell them to. But we're in a free society and they have the choice not to. So what's the answer? Well, for their own good, we're going to take it from them. And I really believe that there is a lot of that. I don't know that anybody collectively gets together and announces it out loud, but I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of conversations that are basically end with. They're just stupid. You know, I mean, look at what they call anything between the East Coast and the West Coast. They call it flyover country. You know, we're, we're, we're just stupid people that you fly over when you get from one, when you leave one important place to go to another important place, you just fly over all the dumb people. We'll take power and we'll tell them, tell them how it's going to be. Well, Chris, you've got an event coming up in the near future. Tell us about that. Yeah, we actually have four events planned over the rest of the year. The first one, October 9th in Jacksonville, Florida. It's actually the 8th and 9th. We added a bonus day. And our keynote speakers are fantastic. We've got Donald Trump Jr., Kaylee McEnany, the former White House press secretary, Dinesh D'Souza, who's always amazing. And then uh, David Clark, Sheriff David Clark, the the African-American sheriff. You probably remember him with his white cowboy hat. He's on the news all the time uh, from Milwaukee. And then we have a great number of other speakers that may not be as, as famous, but certainly just great speakers, great Americans. It's called the American Freedom Tour, and it's all about being pro-America, pro-faith, pro-family, pro-freedom, pro-capitalism. It's not going to be a day where we all get together and and gripe. It's going to be a day where we all get together and celebrate the American dream. You know, we've been told for five years now how horrible, rotten, disgusting, xenophobic, homophobic, transphobic, all the phobics, sexist, racist, all those kinds of things. And I just think conservatives are ready to get together, get out there, celebrate our country, stand for truth and stand for freedom. The response has been so great. We've added three more dates just before the end of the year. We're also in October going to be in Columbus, Ohio. And in November, we're going to be in Kansas City, Missouri. And in December, we're going to be in Charlotte, North Carolina. So people want to find out more, they can go to AmericanFreedomTour.com and they can buy their tickets and uh, would love it if they would just tell other people about it. If you have friends in any of those cities, maybe you're not, maybe you're in Omaha. Well, if you're in Omaha, you can drive to Kansas City. But if you're in a place where you can't get there, then be sure to let your friends know who live in the area. We'd love the, the help and get the word out. We want to, I'm calling it going on offense. We're going on offense. I'm tired of sitting in my house, watching the news, being told what a deplorable I am. So I'm going to take my motivational speaking background and my political interests, and we've put together a something where we're going to go on offense. We're going to go from city to city and declare how good America is. We've, we all know we've got warts. We all know we have our faults. But even with our warts and our faults, America is the greatest country on the face of the earth. And we want to proclaim it from the mountaintops so that everybody can hear that. Fantastic. Give us that website one more time. Yeah, it's AmericanFreedomTour.com. Wonderful. Well, Chris, love the perspective. Uh, do you have any more books in the pipeline? 
Uh, actually, my next book comes out next February. It's literally the first book I've ever written. I wrote it back in the early 90s, and less than 12 people have ever read it. So I sent it to my publisher, and I said, what do you think about this if we just update a little bit? And it's uh, it's called Four Seasons, and it's about a very wealthy East Coast billionaire, uh, retired newspaper man who finds out he has a year to live. And so he has four seasons left to live, and it's how he puts his life in order and his relationships in order. and you know, takes care of business before he dies. It's, it's, it's really the story of life. It's about how we have all of these positive things that go on in life, but they're set against a backdrop of negative things that happen as well, right? So for example, he finds out he has cancer and the very next thing he has to do is go to his high school son's graduation. So, you know, how do, how do we in life navigate the good, the bad, and the ugly? And that's really what the book is about. Fantastic. Well, Chris, love the conversation. And for the listeners at home, definitely reach out to Chris, connect, and learn a little bit more at AmericanFreedomTour.com. That's AmericanFreedomTour.com. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.